have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. It can save lives, heal broken hearts, and I've got my sequence out of order. What's the other thing I say? Save man's soul. Thank you. <laughs> and here's our prayer. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, today. <laughs> oh, speak to us. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Y'all keep saying it, would you? <laughs> I've had a head cold and I can't think straight. That's, that's, my, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> oh, mercy. We've had some... <laughs> Mine stays on the blink most of the time. So. Praise the Lord. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, hey, I love you. <laughs> Do we have any uh, Seahawk fans in the house? Whoa, whoa, three. How about Bronco fans? We have any Bronco fans in the in the house? Peyton Manning fans. How's that? How many don't care at all? <laughs> Only good thing about Super Bowls, you get to eat and watch the commercials, right? I'm not a, a beer drinking promoter at all, but they seem to make some of the best commercials. Uh, there's one out with the little puppy. Have you seen that preview of that puppy going up to the Clydesdales? Ah, uh, that if that doesn't touch your heart, you 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 need some help. <laughs> anyway, a lot of fun. And uh Glad that you're here today, made it ventured out. For some of you, uh, some of us, we came early enough where there wasn't any snow. Uh, get to go home in the snow. But uh, I guess some of the good news is there's not ice underneath it, so that'll help. So do be careful going home. We'll be in Chapter 3 today. We're studying uh, through the story, and uh, hopefully you're gaining on the story and kind of beginning to see pieces to the big puzzle and uh, the big picture, because it's really important that we do. And of course, each week we encourage you to read the chapter this week that we're going to be studying next week. So it'll be chapter four. Talk about, we, we start into Moses when the deliverance, that'll be next week. So be sure and uh, spend some time doing that. And hopefully, parents, that you're uh, uh, sharing this with your kiddos and reinforcing what we're teaching here. So Sunday school and uh, then, of course, church service, and then our extended uh, session for the little guys, they're getting that reinforced as well. So I'm excited about that. Our story today starts in Genesis 37. So if you have your Bibles and uh, or electronic device with your Bible, be sure and uh, get to Genesis 37. And uh, we're going to be studying about the life of Joseph. Uh, we're going to look at four aspects of his life today. And the first aspect of Joseph's life that I want us to know is that Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. That's really the beginning of the, the bigger story, <coughs> that he gets sold into slavery. Uh, Joseph was the son of Jacob, who is also called Israel. He was the grandson of Isaac, the great-grandson of Abraham. So in Genesis 37, uh, Joseph is a teenager. He's growing up in a pretty dysfunctional home. 
I've never found too many homes today that you would call functional. Most of them are dysfunctional. Would you say amen? And why are they dysfunctional? Because they're made up of people. <laughs> right? If you have multiple children in the home between the two parents who are kind of dysfunctional, well, you can assume that there's something that's going to happen within those kids. Even if they have only one kid, that becomes the dysfunction, trying to keep the one kid in line with everything else. Uh, in our home, we had three boys, and our middle son was a challenge. Um, and he, uh, my wife would always say, if he was the first son, he probably would have been the only son. But uh, God blessed us with Jeff, and Jeff was a very uh, easy child to raise, and he was very compliant and wonderful. And then along comes number two. Those of you that have had at least two children, I believe you understand what I'm saying, do you? Uh, but it's interesting. It's interesting. But here's what we find out. Uh, he is his father's favorite son. This is Joseph. He's his father's favorite son. Uh, he's got ten older brothers, but his father, Jacob, loves Joseph the most. He gives Joseph this uh, coat of many colors, as it's called. Uh and it's not just any coat, it's the coat. And by giving him that coat, he's saying to the other brothers, this is my favorite, the rest of you don't count. Parents have to be careful about that, don't they? Uh, parents sometimes will say to their children, especially one of them who's a little on the rough side, boy, I wish you were like your brother or sister, right? And what does that create? More dysfunction. <laughs> Don't compare them. Everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses. Everyone has their own gifts. Everyone is just as blessed as the other. And everyone is just a blessing as big as the other. So we need to remember that. But Jacob, he just, he just decided to single this one out. And, and what he was saying is that I'm going to spend most of my time and most of my estate is going to be given to this son. Because you see, he's the one that I really, really love. And uh, he said, now he's not going to do much, but the rest of you are going to have to do manual labor and you're going to have to work out in the fields. That's just the way it's going to be. So you can somewhat understand the aggravation that these brothers felt toward Joseph. Because after all, my goodness, what makes him better than us? It'd be like on Christmas morning that you have 11 children, one of them gets an iPad, and the rest of them get a Brillo pad. <laughs> Not much fun on that, that Christmas morning. But let's look at verse 4, Genesis 37. It says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. I mean, they hated Joseph so much, it says, and could not speak a kind word to him. Wow. That's a pretty strong hatred, isn't it? Can't even say something kind to him. And I'm sure he was a nice young man. I'm sure he was, you know, kind of handsome, like this front row up here. Real handsome young men and women. Got a couple of women interspersed up here among these thorns that are roses. But some of you know how quickly you, you don't get to choose your own life adventure, do you? You don't even get to choose the family you're born into. You just, it's the luck of the draw. 
You get the mom and dad that you get. You get the brothers and sisters that you get. You ever wondered why God put you in that particular family? My goodness, I could function a lot better outside this family, so hurry up and come 18 so I can get married and get out of this family. <laughs> Only to create your own dysfunctional family. It's awesome fun. But instead of a house filled with love, it was a house filled with hate. Joseph, maybe you grew up in a home where no one seemed capable of speaking a kind word. I can't remember my dad ever saying anything kind. It was always cutting. It was always negative. It was always sarcastic. I don't remember kind words coming from him. And that's hard to take sometimes. You ever had a stepmom living, living under a roof that you didn't really get along with and didn't like you because you were in the way? Stepdad, maybe? There's homes like that that crush the dreams of children. And Joseph really didn't help matters either. <laughs> I mean, he has dreams. Teenagers have dreams, don't they? But this particular dream was about his brothers all bowing down to him. If you're taking notes, and this isn't in your notes, but I want you to write it somewhere on your notes. Should you have a dream of all of your siblings bowing down to you, keep the dream to yourself. <laughs> Just a word of advice. Should you have a dream that all of your brothers and sisters would bow down to you, just keep that to yourself. It's not good to sit down at the breakfast table over your bowl of Cheerios and tell them, hey, guess what I dreamed about last night. And then the brothers are going to grow to hate you even more. So one day Jacob, the father, sends Joseph out into the fields where the other brothers are all working. They're sweating. They're tired. They're hungry. Joseph comes strolling out in his coat of many colors. They see him coming. I mean, who could miss him, by the way? And here's what they say to each other. Look at verse 19. Here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Let's kill him. Well, one of the brothers, Judah, who was one of Leah's boys, speaks up in verse 26. It says, Judah says to the brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. That way, we can get some money for him. At least have something out of this. You ever thought about selling your brother or sister? Don't answer that out loud. Which leads us to the second thing that we learn from Joseph's life. Joseph is put into prison while he's in Egypt. So we see that he's sold into slavery. The second major event in his life becomes that he's put into prison. So they sell him into slavery, and at the age of 17, he's taken to this foreign land of Egypt. He's sold as a slave to one of Pharaoh's officials, and that official's name was Potiphar. He was the captain of, of Pharaoh's bodyguards. The brothers cover up what they had done by taking the coat of many colors, killing a goat, dipping the coat in the goat's blood, showing it to the father, and when Jacob sees it, he just assumes that his son has been killed. 
And he grieves and it breaks his heart. But all the while, Joseph is back in Egypt and he's serving as a slave for Potiphar. But Potiphar sees something in Joseph. This young man has some rare leadership gifts. The thing about the Super Bowl that I get the most intrigued about are the outlying stories about the players. I saw one yesterday about Noshan Marino, who's the running back for the Denver Broncos. Raised in Queens, New York. But it was a rough place for him. He was having issues. So he ended up with his grandmother in a whole different community. And the grandmother introduced him to the sport of football. And as they say, the rest is history. Because what happens is, God can do amazingly incredible things, even when we don't expect them to happen. Even when we don't know how they're going to happen, God can do exceptional things. And what prompted the story was a few weeks ago, in a, when the Star Spangled Banner was being played, no Sean Marino is crying. On the side. I mean, these aren't just little tears. They're just it's like streams of water running down his face. And it so intrigued everybody. They wanted to know more about his story. But his grandmother raised him to be compassionate and soft-hearted and tender-hearted. And boy, look what the end result is. Now he's playing for a national championship, uh, a Super Bowl championship. My goodness. What a story. The one that brought me to tears was the fullback for the Seattle Seahawks, who's deaf, who wanted to play football, but nobody gave him a chance because he couldn't hear. Well, guess what? He's playing today, and I bet he plays very well today on the biggest stage of his life. You see, we just don't know. But people will see something in us that we don't see ourselves. And so Potiphar saw something in Joseph. He had these rare qualities. The Bible says that Potiphar put Joseph in charge and then didn't even concern himself with anything beyond that. He gives Joseph the keys to the house, kind of takes an early retirement, really. So even though he's a slave, he's kind of worked himself up the ladder as much as a slave can. And then the story takes kind of a desperate housewife's turn. And here's what we read. It says that Potiphar's wife, who would have likely been a very beautiful Egyptian woman. I mean, she, you know, you're going to be married to this high-class guy named Potiphar and not have not be a good-looking gal. I mean, really, come on, right? They want their women to look good. So Potiphar's wife probably would have been called a trophy wife today. Kind of the way she looked. But she becomes infatuated with Joseph. Bible tells us that Joseph was well built and handsome, so she makes him her pursuit. And as you read it, it gets kind of graphic, but I don't want to go there. But she says to him, come to bed with me. And that's kind of the PG translation. In Hebrew, this wouldn't even get a PG-13 rating. <laughs> She was very crass. How it's described is very crass. 
And here's how Joseph responds. Verse 9 of verse 30 of chapter 39. How then could I, and we, we read it earlier, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And the Bible says, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He wouldn't even be with her. He fled from evil. He stayed away from her because she was pursuing him for something bad. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's good advice, especially for my young people friends right here on the front row. And then let me go beyond that row and catch everybody else. It's a good thing. Facebook can be a great tool like anything. But it can also become a marriage breaker. Because when things get a little bit rough, you go hunting for that girlfriend you had or boyfriend you had in high school. Well, when everything was perfect. <laughs> I was at my brother's a couple weeks ago and few weeks ago and he uh, was going through Facebook and he saw a post by a gentleman that we went to college with and he looked at my sister-in-law and he said, hey, here's the guy that you wanted to marry. Boy, look how bad he looks. I thought you've been married 40 years to this woman. Won't you get over yourself? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? I started to tell him, I said, well, you don't look so hot yourself there, big boy. I said, I'll keep your mouth shut move on. But he wouldn't want to be around her. So here's what we see in Joseph. We look at this story. It's a lot of disappointment in his life so far. A lot of disappointment. Sold in slavery. Put in prison. Had dreams. He's not a, he's a slave. But through all the disappointment, the one thing I want you to never forget is he is faithful. He is faithful. Somewhere on your outline, right? Joseph was faithful. Joseph was faithful. And what happens to many of us when disappointment comes in our life is we have a way of allowing disappointment to justify disobedience. Well, after all, I've been hurt so deeply, man. I'm, I'm going to fire back at them. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, after all, they hurt me. Well, I'm going to hurt them back. Sure. Well, they use me. I'm going to use somebody else. I have to be disobedient. Just because something's happened to you? Well, God doesn't seem to be holding up his end of the deal. I mean, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, and he's not responding. So, by God, I'm just going to take matters in my own hands. How'd that work out for Abraham and Sarah? <laughs> How'd that work out for Adam and Eve? See, that's where we've got to go back to. Because they were the first couple who took matters into their own hands and said, we know more than you do, God. Well, I sure meet a lot of people like that. This wasn't how the story was supposed to unfold. And because God has seemingly let down, let us down, then I'm going to do whatever I want to do because God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. Wow. Disappointment can never justify disobedience, especially in the area of sexual sin. Well, it's not the way it used to be. Well, when we first got married, it was, wow, that is great. Now, hmm, hard to even talk to each other. Wow. So if that's the case, I might as well move on and find me something else. Yeah. 
I guarantee you there'll be somebody willing. Amen? Oh yeah, they're willing. And they don't care that you're married. They could care less. Just because you're disappointed doesn't give you the right to be disobedient. Many people are single. They think they would have found somebody by now. That right person. They've tried to follow God's standards. They've tried to stay committed. But you know what? He's taking too long. So if I just lower my standards just a little bit, I can get some physical satisfaction. He'll understand because he knows how weak I am anyway. Disappointment does not allow for disobedience. Don't go there. Ran across a story between a married guy and his friend who was single. And the married guy was telling him about a survey that he read of of Christian singles where they were asked, what's the number one temptation you struggle with? 90% of them said sexual sin. And my friend who was sharing this, he didn't blink. He just said, well, I know what the other 10% struggle with. And he said, what's that? He said, lying. (laughs) (coughs) Just because you're disappointed or just because you're unfulfilled or just because you don't think it's happened the way it's supposed to happen gives us no right to be disobedient. And I think there's a tendency to feel like that. God, if you're not going to come through for me in this area of my life, then I'm going to take things into my own hands. And it's not just true for those who are single, but for those who are married, as I mentioned, being disappointed doesn't give us a right to do something we're not supposed to do. Don't do it. Young people, don't ruin your life. Don't make a permanent decision in a temporary issue. You'll you'll get to experience those good things. Be patient. Jeff Parmenter, I have breakfast every Sunday morning. I love it. Time of fellowship. You can join us anytime. Eight o'clock down at Hugo's. Come on. If you don't like Hugo's, bring your own. It'll be up fine. But we got talking about boats today. I guess he went to the boat show. I said, did you get on one of those yachts? He said, I did. It was only $1.7 million just for the boat. What, you tow that behind a car? I don't think so. And what lake do you put it on? You got a pond, you got a pond out in, in your, on your land somewhere? Can you imagine a $1.7 million for a boat? Well, it's not just a boat. I mean, it's three levels and, gee, I was, I can't believe it. I used to get in just one of those tin boat things and hope for the best, Right? <coughs> We get disappointed when we think things aren't going the way we're spo- they're supposed to go and we begin to justify our disobedience. Well, Joseph Joseph is not going, his story is not going the way he thought it would. His plot's not unfolding like he imagined, but he's faithful to God in the midst of disappointment. So Joseph says to Potiphar's wife, how could I do such a, uh, such a thing and sin against God? How could God do such a thing to Joseph? 
He has these dreams. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. His dad thinks he's dead. He's serving as a slave with no rights. He's, he'll never be married. And yet Joseph is faithful in the midst of all that disappointment. He's still faithful. And one day Potiphar's wife takes things into to another level. And once again, she says, come to bed with me. And this time she grabs him by the coat. She pulls, he slips out and runs away. She's left there with a the coat and she cries, rape. Security comes in. She has his coat. Potiphar's wife then has Joseph thrown. Or Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. But what's interesting is that Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. Bodyguard literally would be translated executioner. So her husband Potiphar was the chief executioner for Pharaoh. And one of his favorite ways to execute people back then would have been to bury them alive. He was not a person who would just th have thrown a slave into prison except for that we can pretty safely presume that he trusted Joseph more than he trusted his own wife. So he throws Joseph into prison. Potiphar saves face. He spends the next 10 years in prison, which brings us to the third phase of his life that we want to see sold into slavery prison in Egypt, and then number three, Joseph is promoted to deputy Pharaoh in Egypt. When I say prison, it's more like a dungeon. It's not the prison that we describe today or see today. It's a hole where you're chained, and that's about your existence. They don't worry about toilets and running waters and cots at Sealy posturepedic mattresses and TV with cable on it and a way you can get your degree online. They don't worry about that. As with Adam and Eve, when they took that first bite of the fruit, we see Abraham and Sarah bringing Hagar into their marriage. Their own decisions bring a lot of heartbreak, a lot of disappointment. It's not always the case. Joseph has done nothing to deserve what he's going through. It wasn't his sin. It wasn't his disobedience. It wasn't his rebellion. It wasn't his unfaithfulness. But there's a lot of disappointment in his story. And it wasn't his fault. It was what life did to him. He was a victim of somebody else's decisions and choices. What's worse than being a slave? Being a prisoner, perhaps. And that's what happened. So here's the question we reach at this point in the story. Where is God in the midst of such disappointment? Thirteen years. Where is God in the midst of the disappointment? Some of you are in a chapter of your story right now. And, <coughs> and that same question could be asked. John, who's on his... And by the way, these names do not reflect anyone in our church. To John, who's on his third round of chemo after losing his wife to cancer just a few years ago. Where's God in the midst of that? To Jackie, whose husband left her for another woman while she's pregnant with their first child. Where's God in the midst of that disappointment? To Heather, who grew up being abused and now struggles with cutting herself to Jane, who takes care of her 16-year-old daughter, who was paralyzed when hit by a drunk driver. Where is God in the midst of those disappointments, or maybe even 
A better word is in the midst of the devastation. Where is God when you're in the dungeon? If you look at chapter 39, here's what we're going to find in verse 2. It says, Joseph is a slave, and here's what we simply read. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. If you look down at verse 23, it says the same thing. But it really doesn't seem like it, does it? It doesn't seem like he's with him. The warden soon sees Joseph, what Potiphar saw, and so the warden puts Joseph in charge of the entire prison. There's two prisoners that are under Joseph. One's a cupbearer to Pharaoh. In other words, he tastes the wine to make sure it's not poisoned. Because if he drinks the wine, it's poisoned, then he dies. And Pharaoh doesn't. Well, what a great job, huh? The other was a baker. The cupbearer and the baker, both in prison. They both have these dreams, explicit dreams. They're more than dreams. They mean something and they know it, but they, they have no idea what they mean. Well, Joseph has been given that gift of interpretation and so he interprets these dreams with the cupbearer and with the baker and they both end up coming exactly true how Joseph said they would. And as you read the story, and you think, okay, well, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. But the cupbearer for Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh wakes up one morning and he has this really disturbing dream. He, he knows it means something. He asks his counselors, the wise men, what's it mean? No one really knows, but the cupbearer is sitting there he says, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy. Oh, yeah? He's in prison, though. What's his name? Joseph. The most powerful man in the world is telling this prisoner slave then his dream. He brings Joseph in. He tells him the dream. And the Bible tells us that God gives Joseph the interpretation for the dream. In chapter 41 and verse 38, here's what Pharaoh says to his counselors. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. You're the second most powerful man in the whole world. And so Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Wow! He's a prisoner, a slave. And now he's the deputy Pharaoh, the vice president of Egypt, the second most powerful man in the entire world at that time. Now, how does that happen? You're just lucky. That's part of God's story. We saw it last week. God wanted to populate the nation. So what does he do? He gets an elderly, infertile couple and says, here, we're going to go. Really? Now time's come for God to rescue his people because there's a famine coming. He needs one of his people in a position of power and authority. And who does he choose? He chooses this former slave, ex-con named Joseph, at 30 years old. Isn't it interesting the parallel between Joseph and Jesus? But he chooses this guy and puts him in charge. And then God writes his story Choosing unlikely characters to pull it off. And so God uses Joseph to execute this plan that saves millions of people from this severe famine. It's a seven-year famine. It doesn't just affect all of Egypt. It spreads out to the outer regions and eventually it affects Canaan, the home place of Joseph. Joseph's family has money. They have resources, but there is no food. 
There is no grain to buy. So here's what happens. Joseph's father, Jacob, sends out Joseph's older brothers to the land of Egypt to try and get grain because they've heard that Egypt has stockpiled the food. And now we're ready for the last part of Joseph's life. Joseph is then reunited with and forgives his brothers. Sold into slavery, prison in Egypt, made deputy Pharaoh, and now he's reunited. So, brothers come on the scene. 22 years have passed since they sold him into slavery. Joseph was 17. He's 39 now. They don't recognize him. His brothers find themselves in front of the deputy Pharaoh, and you know what they do? They bow down. They bow down. That was a dream. Joseph puts them through a few tests to make sure they're, they've changed. He wanted to find out where their heart was. He sees that they are now compassionate towards his father, and he just gets to the point where he can't hold it any longer. And in chapter 45, verses 1 through 5, he says this, And Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done that, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So all of the disappointments did not create disobedience in him. He stayed faithful and focused on the Lord. You need to do the same. I need to do the same. We need to do the same. Does God want this church to grow? Yes. Who's He going to do it through? Us. Well, I ask people all the time. They just don't want to come. I know. <coughs> Me too. <coughs> I ask people all the time. They either go somewhere else or they don't want to go. Or they'll say they go to a big old church. Well, there's a reason to go to the big old church. Nobody knows you. You can go in, you sit down, and you can leave. Nobody say a word to you. Nobody asks you to do anything. Nobody asks you to give anything. Nobody asks you to do anything. And then go home. That's great. That's great. <coughs> but you're in a church like this, you're going to have to be involved. Because somebody's going to know who you are. That's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. But you see, a church grows. Churches grow when people in the church bring people. God sent Joseph ahead to be ready to save Israel through his brothers. Is that not an incredible story? You can't write that. Chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You meant this for evil, but God used it for good. And the brothers didn't know at that time that Joseph didn't know that in prison or as a slave, God certainly didn't cause the brothers to sin by selling Joseph into slavery or even lying to their father. God didn't cause Potiphar's wife to sin by lusting after Joseph and then lying about an attack. But here's what God does. He takes all those decisions and all those broken pieces and all the disappointments and He says, I can work with that. I can work with that. 
if you'll have a faithful heart. I can work with it. So whatever's broken in your life, whatever's happened in your life that's created pain for you, God can work with that. If you let him. Or do you want to just keep being bitter about it? You see, he redeems, he redeems, he redeems. He can take anything, he can take any piece, he can use it for the good of telling the story. So Joseph says, God has redeemed this. And here's what I want you to never, ever forget, is that never give up on God to redeem you in your story. Never give up. Never give up. Because he can redeem anything. Joseph spent a long time as a slave and in prison. God didn't. God never left him. Uh, God was at work the whole time. And now on the back side of that, he can look back and see the, the bigger picture. Be patient. Be patient, and you'll see God doing something marvelous in your life. Be patient. Do you have disappointments in the adventure, the journey that you're on? Are you facing disappointments? Choose to stay with God. Are you unemployed? Choose to stay with God. You've been divorced, abused, have a terminal illness? Keep your faith and focus on God. Disappointments will come and our tendencies become bitter and withdrawn, become harsh and become hard. But when the disappointment comes, God's telling you, I can work with that. I can work with that. I want you to see a video of a girl named Shelby and what God did with her. My story starts, uh, I was two years old, start walking on my tiptoes, uh, no big deal, it was just kind of weird, and then uh, turned eight, uh, really active in sports from five up. Freshman year, um, I was on varsity softball team. Every time I would go to practice, we'd do sprints. And so I'd like stand on the line to do sprints and run as fast as I could, and I'm thinking I'm flying, like beating everybody like I used to. And then I'm like running like I'm 300 pounds overweight. I don't know what's wrong. Every time I would go to practice and come home, I would just cry before I go to bed because I was in so much pain. Sophomore year, I was walking up the steps, felt like I had carried like two backpacks on my back, just be like completely out of breath. And so I went home and I told my mom, I was like, this is what I feel like and I don't know why I feel this way. We went to the doctor again, to the same doctor I've been seeing since I was in elementary school. Um, she had me do a series of tests. Besides sitting there, uh, she looked at me and she said, Shelby, I think you have muscular dystrophy. Oh my gosh, like, this is, this shouldn't be me. Okay, God, I know that this is a part of your plan for me and I'm ready. I am so ready to take on this challenge because I know if I have to give up walking, that's nothing compared to what your son did on the cross. As I'm sitting there, I remember what God had told me in middle school. This is this something medical, whatever it is, it's not going to go away. And I was like, whoa, like you just spoke to me. Like I, I, I had this feeling that you were going to give me something. And in that moment, I just knew it was like this peace because of sin entering the world. I have this disease. That is why I have this disease. Because my God is so powerful, 
He is sovereign over all of it, and he, he can take something so horrible, something so painful, and turn it into this beautiful passion. And at the end of the day, sin and this disease doesn't get the last word. God does, because he's that big, because he's that powerful. What kind of faith does that girl have and where did she learn it? There's plenty of disappointments in life, amen? But God can do something with it if you'll let him. If you'll let him. Let's pray together. God, you're the great author and you're the great redeemer. and So we, place, we want to place the pen to our story in your hands. And Lord, as we've studied the story of Joseph, I know that everyone can relate in one degree or another to what it feels like to be disappointed when things don't turn out the way we hope. And Lord, would you help us to see the story that we're, we're in and that you are writing? And would you help us, God, to put our faith in your goodness? That in this life or in the next Everything through the power of Jesus Christ will be redeemed. And Satan doesn't decide. God, you do. As in his name we pray. Amen.